you should head on down to patreon.com slash house of decline. That's H-A-U-S of decline.com. You can get uh, 30 comics a month there. 30 extra comics for just $3. You get extra podcasts for $5 uh, on top of that. And, you know, you can get a, you can get commissions. You can ask me to draw you anything within reason. Uh, so, you know, head on down to the Patreon. Go to the store, store.houseofdecline.com. We're doing engagement. We're doing promotion. Head on to our website, houseofdecline.com. Uh, Tumblr, Instagram. We're all on there. It's the same name because it's a very, it's a relatively distinctive name. So we were able to get the domains. We were able to get the all-important domains. So head on down to all of those so that you can engage with and give us money. Or if you're in the South, head on up, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, we're not, we're not directionally biased, you know? Yeah, you can head any which way you want to your nearest internet machine, whether that be a um smart watch or a mm. smart car or a smart pad mm-hmm. or a um laptop or a desktop what are the, what are some of the other ways you can do internet uh you uh, through morse code mm. you through it through a morse ticker a morse code machine okay well a telegraph i should say i hope everyone had a happy soulful tearful joyful thanksgiving um i hope you argued a lot about politics around the table with your family we argued more about um the food how it was uh, not prepared well it or not it prepared. was everyone had a, had a different reason why they thought the food was not prepared well <laughs> that's great you're all airing your grievances about the thanksgiving food yeah Definitely. You were not giving thanks, as it were. Well, actually, we had a really good um, sweet... My sister made a really good sweet potato dish, like kind of... Okay. You know, like a crumble, when mm-hmm. you have like a, a berry crumble? Or but she did with sweet potatoes. She put a sweet... Yeah, she put a crumble on top of the sweet potatoes with pumpkin seeds. Hey. Really. Hey, that's pretty good. Really pretty good. Um, she roasted them suckers? The sweet potatoes? No, the pumpkin seed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all put in the oven. That's how you make a crumble in the oven. Right, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know baking. Well, it's baking. I don't know implements. I don't know. I'm no cuisin. You use the oven a lot in in baking, I've heard. Um, So that was delicious. Uh, I made some sort of not great potatoes myself. Uh, Not great potatoes. potatoes. Like mashed potatoes? Oh, oh, gratin. Oh, you were were doing oh, gratin? Yeah. A lot of but they turned out oh rotten. <laughs> they turned out oh medium. I'd okay, say. that's pretty good. You know, it was it was fine. It was fine. Saw my little nephews. How are they doing? They're good. They're uh, they're, they're running around. They're little guys. Yeah, running around, being little guys, picking stuff, yeah. picking stuff up off the ground, putting it in their mouths. That's what they do. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you sense the world, you know. Mm. What does it taste like, you know? What What does the mouth feel? What do these leaves taste like? Stuffing leaves into their mouth, like, because it's it's awesome. That would be pretty funny if you had, like, uh, snooty kids and they were stuffing leaves into their mouths, but they were talking about their palate and talking about, you know, the fine oaky flavor of this oak leaf. Kids do that with dirt. I've seen, I've definitely seen kids do that with dirt. They have sensitive dirt palates. Oh, this has a fine peachy finish, they would say. It would be like... 
this dirt doesn't taste as good as the dirt at my house. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, Billy, there's a lot of oil in the dirt here from years and years and years of pollution. Because they, well, told, they told people to just bury the oil. You can do that. Yeah, it dissipates in the ground. It's fine. You know, you can bury batteries, too. When your batteries are done, you bury your batteries. You can swallow batteries. Absolutely. You can swallow magnets. Battery acid, stomach acid, it all blends together. It'd be cool to have just a little blender installed in your stomach, like a little insincorator, you know, garbage disposal. A little, yeah, we call it a garburator in Canada. Garburator. A garburator, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> the old garburator, that was the brand name that took root over here. Uh, yeah, uh, put the old garburator in there. Yeah, a shredding device you instead know that of thing our. You can handle mice. Did you, <laughs> you, did can... you know that? What? How do you know that? I'm just saying. Is can, that it, is that advertised? Yeah. You in can, the garburator, can, it's like, if a mouse gets in here, forget about it. It'll shred that sucker. You know, well, why throw the mouse in the garbage? Just put it in the garburator. Uh, you know, they say don't put bacon down the sink. Yep. Bacon fat down the sink. They what about, that. you know, mouse organs? <laughs> well, those those things are have fallen out of fashion for good reason. It's not a smart way to dispose of food. Um, it's it's not. Are you telling shredding it up and putting it in in the water system where it can chunk up in the chunk up in the pipes? Yeah, that's not a good way. Not a good thing to de- to to do to the water system because what they end up doing at the water plant is they just have to filter it and collect all of that and it goes into the garbage anyway. So, folks, put your food waste in either the garbage or the compost. But it's convenient. But if we didn't have the garburator, think about how many horror scenarios and movies could not have been accomplished. Seriously, it like messed up my wife's ring because her ring fell in it. It's a useless thing. If you put your hand in there and then the, you know, lightning hits your house and then it goes, turns on for some reason and your hand gets (laughs) mangled and you start screaming. Many such cases. Many times this has happened. Uh... Well, we were talking about children eating dirt, and uh, that's what YouTube is. So let's talk about YouTube. What a segue. <laughs> what I know, an amazing segue. I want to talk about this. I'm forcing Steven to listen to me talk about a video that he's never seen. It's 90 minutes long. And for most people, for sensible people, is extremely boring. It's and, okay. And, I'm going to play with my knife. <laughs> you see, you got a knife. You got a big old combat knife next to you. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So while I'm talking about uh, this YouTube video, Steven is going to play with this combat I'm going to play knife, knife games. I'm going you know, to do games? knife moves, yeah. You know, you can play knife games in Red Dead Redemption 2. That's cool. It is cool. Can you play Mumble Tea Peg? I don't know what that is. Is that a, is that a, it sounds like an indie album. It's a knife game. Uh-huh. I'm just, maybe I made that up or Mumble maybe I heard that in some 9. weird. Mumble 9.4 on Pitchfork. Mumble Tea Peg? Yeah. Uh, it's an old outdoor game played using pocket knives. The term mumble tea peg came from the practice of putting a peg of about two or three inches into the ground. Are the you loser sure it's of not the a... game had to take it out with his teeth. You sure it's not an album from 2005, Indie Rockers Bounce Gorilla? Bounce Gorilla? <laughs> there's a band name for everything, you know. I'm sure there's a band name called Knife Games, Knife Moves. A Bob Seger's Knife Moves, you know? Mm. There you go. That's a delicious pun. But yeah, I watched this YouTube video and had a lot of thoughts about it because I saw a lot of praise for it. And it's I mean, it's Defunct Land and their new video about 
finding the composer of the Disney Channel theme song. I think it's called the Disney Channel theme song, A History Mystery or something like that. Um, it's, the video is called Disney Channel's Theme, A History Mystery by Disney Channel. Defunct Land. Yes, that is it. The, uh, the guy behind Defunct Land is a guy called Kevin Perjurer. What? Uh that, yeah, I know his name is Perjurer, which is that's yeah, it's nuts. It's like a character from Preacher or something like that. That is a it's, very unfortunate last name. It's like I guess he he'll You're lying all the time. He's always lying. He'll never have to worry about jury duty. Yeah. With a name like that, the judge well, will throw him out right away. I don't like the I don't like this, the judge will say. Yeah. Uh yeah, I get it. It's like if your name was uh, Terry Crime. Or or uh, Jim Arson. Yeah. Uh, so he has this YouTube channel, very popular YouTube channel. Originally does uh, videos about uh, defunct amusement park rides. That's where it gets its name. You know, whatever happened to this weird amusement park ride? You know, mm-hmm. goes into the history, who engineered it, when it was popular, the cultural milieu of its popularity. They're well done. He's he's a very good documentarian, which is why he got popular. They're they're well constructed and they're easy to watch. He is a nice, easy voice, and like I get why the channel is popular. Especially there's a lot of dreck on YouTube. And this definitely rises above the common dreck on YouTube. Uh but why this video was interesting to me is because um, this is one of the first ones where he he takes an active role in it, where he's part of the narrative, because he is discovering uh, who who wrote the Disney Channel theme song. It's a big mystery. We know who wrote Nick Nick Dolian, or we know who wrote the NBC theme song. He, we know he, he who uses wrote, those as examples. We know who wrote the Seinfeld theme song. We do know who wrote the Seinfeld. Imagine theme if that song. was a mystery. Yeah. Imagine if we had to find out who wrote What if Jerry himself had written it? He is nowhere near talented enough to write a TV theme song. He's he's a piece of shit. He's a piece of human. Fucking huge piece of garbage, Jerry Seinfeld. Um before I rant about this fucking YouTube video, watch it first. Watch before I say anything. We're gonna play clips from it. And you should watch it first and form an opinion on it before yeah, I, I go into my... This, I hope you have an hour and a half at your disposal, <laughs> and then another 40 minutes to finish the podcast to hear our thoughts on it. You're going to need a total of two hours and ten minutes um, to consume yeah, I, I, this whole experience. But Yeah, the full let it wash over you. Who doesn't love 90-minute YouTube video essays about the Disney Channel? Listen, we know all the decliniacs out there are tied Mm -hmm. and glued to your every direction, dear leader. So let's dive in to this video about the Disney Channel theme song. Yeah. Um, What I I wanted to say about it is that because he's doing self-insertion in it, he has this personal emotional thesis where... If for all of his life as a YouTuber, and he even has like a, a sequence in it where he's emailing various people that he wants to be in the documentary, and he writes, I am a documentarian, then he deletes it and writes, I am a YouTuber. So he's always like denigrating himself because he's part of this lesser format of movies. There's one sequence in it where he discovers his uh, what I want to be when I grow up from when he was in kindergarten. He says, 
I want to make movies and use I want to make movies to help inspire people. And then he, you know, puts it puts it back away. So um, the, the search for the Disney Channel theme song becomes like a, a, this meta narrative about being an overlooked artist or being an artist and giving it your every effort, but being devalued because you work in a disrespected milieu. Um, which is, you know, why he is so emboldened to find out who this was, because it's like if he feels that he can give credit to this guy and legitimize this guy's work, then he can legitimize his own work as well, which is. Uh, you think that so does the Disney Channel guy that or the guy that wrote the music for Disney Channel writing is, uh, you know, what does it call his resume? And he's like hanging his head in shame. He's like, you call yourself a musician? You wrote the Disney Channel theme song, you piece of shit. Piece <laughs> yeah, of yeah, human that's... Garbage. You, 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 you suck the corporate mouse dick. You suck the <laughs> corporate mouse dick. No, I, I don't think anybody who wrote for the Disney Channel felt that way. I, I, he interviews people about it who did these, like, various uh, corporate gigs for the Disney Channel. Uh, he gets one, like, very genial British guy to talk about his legacy and it's like you know sometimes i wonder about that you know everyone wants to be van gogh or whatever but you know maybe it's fine that i'm like this you know and i think at one at one point i agree with that sentiment i think you know uh you can recognize sort of the the majesty of craft and the majesty of someone at, at, at numerous times throughout the video perjurer says uh giving it their all you know, that is because someone was giving it their all because they were working to the best of their abilities. That justifies this as much of an emotional or like a significant experience as more traditionally uh, valued art. You know? Well, who is he talking about the zeitgeist? Is he is he talking about the zeitgeist here? I don't know if he's talking about this. I think he's falling prey to the zeitgeist, though, because what I actually... I actually found this to be, and the word is sinister. <laughs> At the end of it, I there is this great movement now to collapse the ideas of product and art, which, you know, in the, these things for the Disney Channel, these bumpers, these theme songs, these like little ditties, I, you know, they are art in the most technical and logically correct sense of the word. Of course, they're a form of human expression, uh, designed to, you know, elicit some sort of emotional response. That's that. Yeah, that's it falls under that broad category. But I think where it differs for me is in intention, you know, because the way that these people talk about how they compose something, it's very much like they're solving a problem. It's not like there's this sort of ethereal or abstract personal thing that they need to get out there. It's more as if they are presented with uh, like a puzzle and they have to solve that puzzle in order to make the money and in order to generate the revenue. Um, and what's interesting to me is that there is the commerce aspect of this whole thing that sort of gets ignored in favor of, you know, talking about the importance of this work. Um, and it just ended up striking me in the end as uh, a 90 minute commercial for Disney, which is a, an art murdering corporation. Hey, you know, well, maybe this guy's gonna get hired by Disney, and then he'll feel a lot better about himself. Maybe he will. Maybe Disney's I don't, I don't like, know. we need 
some kind of archivalist, you know? We need some kind of archivalist at Disney. Oh, hey, we can get Mr. Harry Perjurer. Uh, yeah. What's his name? Kevin Perjurer. Oh, I like Harry better. Can we call him yeah. Harry? Sure, Harry Perjurer. Is that, the, is that what he... That's fine. You can do that with artists. You can just change yeah. their name. You can change their name, yeah, and not give them credit, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not give them any credit, but yeah. There, there. I a clip from the video that I found to be very instructive uh, was so he finally tracks down. Uh, so the 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 music first appears in the Disney Channel bumpers starting around 2002, starting around the Wand bumpers, where uh, various Disney Channel stars, Hillary Duff, um, Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf is there. Uh, they would draw the Mickey Mouse ears. Uh, with a wand and these these bumpers were excessively popular and that's where uh this music first came out and a couple of like about a month or two ago on reddit uh these this blooper reel came from it or like failed takes where the actors were having awkward times so he tracks the people that released that reel to an editing house and that's where he gets the name of this disney executive andrea something i forget her last name but um, this is a clip of her talking about her role at the Disney company and what they would do in sort of these uh, corporate meetings in order to do everything but the shows, you know, be, be the marketing aspect around the around the content. So you want me to play the clip now, boss? Yeah, play the clip now, boss. At okay, boss. I'm going to play the clip. One hour nine seconds. I'm gonna one play hour the... nine minutes, I should say. I'm gonna, play the clip. I'm going to play the clip, boss, but I have one comment. Yeah. Uh, money makes the world go round, as they say. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. It's okay. true. Okay, I'm going to play the clip now. And a lot of that was really clever synergy programming. Were you told by someone higher up what you needed to promote? There was a meeting every week where there was a big, humongous conference room table where everyone would announce what they were doing that week, like to cross-promote. Like, I wish I had video from these meetings. When the Lizzie McGuire movie was coming out, there was a meeting where someone would go, uh, we're making napkins. And the next group would go, we've got the lunch boxes. And this started at least a year before the movie came out. I started selling you stuff about Finding Nemo a year and a half before Nemo came out. I think we called them fishy facts. And it was all stuff to get kids interested in fish. So that when it came out, you liked fish. And these kids were like, this is perfect because I'm already into fish coincidentally. Uh-huh. But they were, it was not a coincidence. No. Okay, that's a little sinister. Mm-hmm. What is a network personality? Okay, so that's where... I, so And then he never, he never investigates that again. You know, which to me, that's the far more interesting part of it is like, all of this is being done in surface of getting into the soft little brains of children and selling them things, you know? And that is like, isn't that just like de facto evil, right? <laughs> you know, that's, just, I guess not, but I mean, there are laws against advertising to children in, uh, <laughs> in certain countries. In Canada, we have laws against it. And I think that's, that's good because, you know, they, they can't handle it. So, it all becomes about the veneration of this person whose creativity was used to sell stuff to children, which is, I don't know, this is a little weird. Yeah, I remember watching the Disney Channel. I was watching that as early as 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. 
And I know that because um, the day my mom died, I went upstairs to watch the Disney Channel. Mm-hmm. And then a uh, fundamentalist person who was helping us came up and interrupted my watching of the Disney Channel to tell me my mom was watching me from heaven. And I was like, are you sure? Because if I was there, I'd be watching the Disney Channel. Because I love the Disney Channel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's funny. I I bet. I mean, that's how... I mean, I think uh, Perjurer is correct when identifying that the Disney Channel is this pervasive cultural thing that shaped the lives of people. But... That's sort of the only criteria he uses to address his significance. The mere fact that it was around and it shaped your life is why it's significant. Not that it had any effect on you beyond priming you for, like, product inhalation, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, fall prey to the Nemo stuff. Never saw that movie. <laughs> you never you never was into it? I never got into it. No, I recently watched it, though. Recently, in the car. I was just sitting in the back seat with my kid. And we were yeah. like, you're going to like Finding Nemo, over and over yeah. again. And then we showed her the movie, and she was just crying. Well, yeah, it's crying. all about being separated from your from your family. Yeah, she's like, why Nemo, why Nemo flushed down the toilet, you know? And she couldn't handle that. No, it's a very traumatic talk. moment. She can't talk. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cool if you had a, a talking baby. It'd now, there cool. would be a YouTube video. I know. We've been showing our boss baby like every day. And we're like, look, babies talk. You're not talking. <laughs> Something's wrong with you. Okay? Just a <laughs> Babies little... talk with the voice of Alec Baldwin. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how you're supposed to talk. Don't you see? Yeah. Goo goo gaga. Milk is for closers, you know. That's how yeah, you're milk is to for closers. The milk is for closers. That's what he would say. Uh, he would instead of saying "Good God, Lemon," he'd say "Goo God." There you go. There yeah. you go. Now Making we're these full circle on these Alec Baldwin boss baby, the boss baby, timely humor, timely humor for the boss baby. Hmm. Well, speaking of the boss baby, DreamWorks updated their logo, and it's sort of to, more to what I'm talking about. So the old DreamWorks logo. Pretty classic guy fishing on the moon, ethereal, Spielbergian, treacly, sappy. It stands out in your memory. The new one is the DreamWorks kid sailing on his moon to all the DreamWorks properties. They go to Kung Fu Panda and Shrek and Boss Baby. They go to all the DreamWorks movies because it's reminding you of, you know, the universe they live in. It's the IP, the constant IP orgy that we live in now. Well, you think they're ever going to make Kung Fu Panda toilet paper? I'm sure they already have. you know, I'd like to wipe my ass with that property, with that media property. Uh, They they probably have Kung Fu Panda diapers, so, you know. (laughs) Yeah, we have um, Goofy diapers. You got Goofy diapers? Yeah, they start you early with the Disney stuff. Huggies. Huggies and Disney Corporation are apparently the same. I guess maybe Disney owns Huggies, but there's fucking Goofy. There's fucking 101 Dalmatians on the diapers. Mm Mm-hmm. They start you way early. You know? does, does your kid like the diapers better if it has the Disney characters on it? Yeah. And it, she, pee, pee, she <laughs> that's so that's weird. She poos and pees better too. Oh no, that's so that's so weird. Yeah, so that gets you early, man. She won't All poo, these corporate she won't products. poo and pee in a diaper that doesn't have a, a Dalmatian on it. Yeah. Um, it's some sort of psychological trick. Yeah. You know. 
well, they're cute, I don't know. so it's like, okay. It lets you know everything's okay. Even before she was born, I was like, somehow I like bought the Disney Channel. I'm like, I need, I'm having a baby. I need Disney in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, so yeah, the veneration of that, this omnipresent cultural juggernaut that sort of, uh, does everything in its power. And when I say art murdering corporation, I, I mean it because it, by virtue of its media monopoly, and uh, you can see it with, you know, movie theaters and how often Marvel movies take up uh, theater space to the limitation of other more personal visions. Uh, you, you see it everywhere. You see with what Mar Marvel did to, uh, with uh, what Disney did to the Fox library after it bought Fox and it pigeonholed all the Fox shows and, you know, prevented you from having access to them. It's all about sort of controlling the supply and making it less varietal because, you know... Uh, Wait, Disney owns Fox now? Yeah, they, they've owned Fox for a year. For a year. Uh, not not the news portion of no, Fox. That's no, still no, owned no, by no, News but they, Corp, own the, but they own the network Fox? Yeah, they own The Simpsons. They own It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, they so own, they got uh, FX, too. Yeah. Damn. So was that before Rupert Murdoch who owned them? Or was that Time Warner? Who owned Fox before Disney? It was it was its own. It was part of News Corp. Interesting. Yeah, wow. the entertainment side of Fox was part of News Corp. And uh, I've been out of the loop. You know, I had no idea. All actually, these. I think it was its own company, but it was still owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. Okay. I guess he needed to sell, right? Yeah. I mean, at some points, you know, maybe who cares? You can you can cash out. You can make billions of dollars. You made your nut. You're dying soon. Uh, but. This comes at a price because it when there a media monopoly happens, that just means there's less to go around in general. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm being uh, histrionic about that because you know we have more media than ever now, but all of it seems to be sort of blurred and samey, you know, which I think is as a result of this monopolization of not just media but of like content and ideas of what content can be as well. Just very procedural, staid, focus-tested ideas of what stuff can be. Or, or maybe that's a, a fatuous complaint as well, because Netflix tried throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck, and that that did not pay out in the end. So, Okay, I'm fact-checking who owns Fox. Mm-hmm. Because um, what Wikipedia says is 21st Century Fox was purchased by Disney. Yeah, that's that's the one. That's... But the Fox Broadcasting Company is still owned by Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, that's Fox News and all the... I think that's... Uh, this is so confusing, man. Yeah, it's all these corporate... Corporate merges. But that's what Kevin Perjurer is here to explain. One of his previous videos, which was very popular, was about the Disney Fast Pass. Mm. And it was about, you know, the, the problems of how to make more money, you know, when you're Disney. And the thing is, his stuff is very interesting. And... You know, I would call him a documentarian. I absolutely would call him an artist. And it's weird because it's weird that he's comparing himself to these people because his stuff is obviously much more of a personal vision and intended to be much more of a personal vision than the people that were working for Disney at that time. I The, the company that they were working for, the composers for the Disney Channel theme, uh, Alex Lasarenko and Eric Perlmuter and all these guys that he interviews, uh, they were working for this company called Elias, Elias Sound uh, Design or Elias Sound Systems. I forget what it's called, but Elias is the big name. And they designed like the 
the sounds for all the big famous corporate logos and stuff like that. Anything you like, they designed the Intel sound or or whatever, um, or they designed the HBO fuzz or what? I no, they didn't design that one, but um, it'll, uh, but the part of part of the com- working at the company was that composers didn't have a lot of agency or identity. You were supposed to blend in. You were part of a team of composers, and the company is what produced stuff. I don't know if um, when he interviews composers too, they don't seem that bummed out about their lack of credit or their lack of authorship for these things. Mm-hmm. That they've seemed to have sort of accepted that, or uh, you know, resigned that. You know, they're just working at a job. But it's weird to like sort of insist that no, you're something more. You're something more because if you're something more, I'm something more. Mm-hmm. And I I found it to be. Um, I don't know, maybe reaching a little bit, but yeah. also disturbing. And it, it's it's still this collapsing of product and art. These things which have, like, when I think of art or when I think of the art that sticks with me, you know, you can call auteurist theory bullshit or whatever, but I think it, it all comes back to personal vision. You know, sure, like, film is a collaborative art, but if you don't have some sort of, like, idiosyncratic ideal guiding it, you know, it's not going to stand out. It's not going to be interesting. And you the music that he was venerating was designed not to stand out. It was designed to be in the background. Do you think being a CEO of a television company is like being an artist? Uh, <laughs> Do you need an idiosyncratic vision like Rupert Murdoch to make something like Fox Network take off? And the uh, results of the fact check are in. In fact, Rupert Murdoch does still own Fox Network. They split in 21st century 20th 21st something like that and 20th disney, century yeah yeah disney bought half of it and but they don't own the network so rupert oh, murdoch okay. still owns the network interesting um but that's interesting about the idiosyncrasies that you need yeah but I well mean, i mean that's like vision. that's unprovable yeah you're talking about Sorry. artistic vision i guess you yeah know? so uh you think we're you think we're the product you think this is a product? Are we doing it too? Uh, yeah, we're absolutely. I mean, I if the 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 format of podcasts seemed intimately more guided towards a, a product scenario. We advertised our own shit at the beginning of the episode. You know, you yeah. interview people and we you network with people in order. Except, I'm very bad at doing. We that. have I'm our very own bad cereal now. Guests. We have our own cereal brand. You can you can buy it at Walmart. Uh, um, Declinios. 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 They taste black. like sadness. They taste like dirt. <laughs> they taste like ass. <laughs> they taste like good dirt, though. Yeah, they taste like the good dirt at home. Yeah. Not not like the bad dirt from the playground. Or, yeah. That's filled with battery acid. And lead. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they used to make, um, like, plas- like, rubber mulch on children's playgrounds out of recycled tires. <laughs> Did you know they used to do that? That's so funny. No, no. That's, and it would that's... just kids would just get lead poisoning from it yeah. constantly. So that's a cool thing about America. Makes you really aggressive lead poisoning. It, is that why like bullies in the eighties were just would murder you? A hundred percent. Because like every every trope I hear about like people talking about high school in the eighties was like, oh yeah, they stuffed us into garbage cans and rolled us onto the highway, but it was all in good fun, you know. That's... Yeah, yeah. In the eighties, they would put you in. They they buy like a, they get like from the dump like one of those giant tires from yeah. a tractor, and they put you in that with a bun, and then they pour hot sauce in there. 
and then they roll you down. <laughs> That's <laughs> you get, what they would do, yeah. And you get hot sauce and your eyes rolling down a hill a million miles an hour until you run into a tree and get knocked out and you wake up and your eyes and your asshole are burning from the hot sauce. Right, right, right. They would do is they would uh, break your legs rhythmically. That's actually how Stomp was formed. In, in the 80s, they were just breaking a bunch of nerds' legs rhythmically, going, hey, we can make a beat from this. And then they were all getting into it. Yeah. Stomp warranted the teacher rolling in a TV to class one day. Yeah. And to show us Stomp. And I was like, is this really worth disrupting an entire day of class <laughs> to show us Stomp? No, it's Stomp. We have to see Stomp. Uh, if, uh, if, you don't, you, if you don't remember Stomp, I, I wonder how I wonder if that has persisted, like Pokemon has persisted into this generation. Someone I wonder tweet, if Yeah, someone tweeted about it. Apparently there's like a theater in New York that's doing two showings of Stomp a day and they never see anyone go in or out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just I think it's exclusively for, for like classrooms, because that's what we did on our class trip to New York, is we went to see Stomp yeah. on the off-Broadway Stomp show. Yeah. <laughs> hey, kids, let's see off-Broadway Stomp. Stomp is, is due for a revival. Why won't Kevin Perjurer do the documentary on Stomp? We need to... Ne- or Blue Man Group. What about these percussive performance art? I think there's, there's a documentary on Blue Man Group. Blue Man Group became like a whole institution. Yeah. I think they just... Blue Man Group really knew how to run it. You know, they knew how to run the show. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're going to obey those guys. They're blue. You don't know what they're doing. They're, Fred Armisen was once Blue Man Group. Really? Yeah, I was looking that. I, I think uh, I, I might be making this up. No, it wasn't Danny Carey, but it was uh, Tim Alexander from Primus. Tim mm-hmm. Herb Alexander from Primus was also in, in Blue Man Group at one point. Um, and the reason why I'm associating because I was looking up Danny Carey's Wikipedia page, the drummer from Tool, and he cites Tim Herb Alexander as an influence, mm-hmm. which is very funny. They must be like good buddies because they're contemporaries. It's funny to think of someone being an influence who's your own age. And <laughs> I like that. That that was cute to me. Man, that's cool. Fred Armisen playing background drums with the Blue Man Group in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Imagine, imagine having that be your line you could open with at the bar. Hey, you know, I played background drums with Blue Man Group in the nineties. Uh, so you had to wear that makeup? No, it, it, background drums. I, I was not a blue man. I was, <laughs> I was assisting the blue man. No, I think he would have been blue. No, they only have the three blue men. They have a band. They have a backing band. The Blue Man Group. But the backing band's not blue too. They're not blue. They they will wear uh, other types of costumes. I think when I saw the Blue Man Group like 15 years ago. You've seen Stomp and Blue Man Group. I've seen Stomp and Blue Man Group. <laughs> I've, I've been part of all the ni- the weird 90s cultural phenomena of percussion performance art. That's wild, man. I yeah, never saw any yeah. of that shit. I never, got, I never went to a live show until um, college. Blue Man Group didn't pass through Dallas. Oh, uh, maybe they did, but I was only allowed to go to the symphony. You know, the, the Blue Man Group never did stuff with the symphony. Well, I didn't really like. I didn't really care for the symphony as a as a lad. Mm. You know, I didn't really care. I, I went so to, even if the extremely cool Blue Man Group had showed up, I went to go see the Mikado by the what's it called? Who that? Who those brothers? Uh, uh, Mario and Luigi. Mario and Luigi, the brothers yeah. that wrote the Mikado. And yeah, they wrote yeah. the Pirates of Penzance. You know. Yeah. They um, wrote. They wrote Chicago. They wrote Greece. 
He wrote like the Sound Bil- of Music. Bilbo, Bilbert, Bilbert and Blugabin. Uh, yeah, Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, as a little faggy kid, I really loved Gilbert and Sullivan. I bet you did. I, I bet you I, loved, I definitely. I bet you love that pirate played by uh, who's that hairy guy? There's a pirate played by a hairy guy. Mm, yeah, Who, who's in a fish called Wanda? What's his name in a fish called Wanda? The guy. There's a hairy guy, John Cleese, oh, Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Yeah. Kevin Klein's in the movie version of Pirates of Penzance. He's very hairy. Okay. Yeah, I guess he is pretty hairy. I never really evaluated how how hairy Kevin Klein is. Oh, I thought you would have uh, gone straight for him, as you were saying. You were the F slur. I'm into team. hairy guys. Yeah. I was a, 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 a F slur, F slur guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very respectful. Thank you. You're so you're so welcome, my dude. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for not saying fag because you you have not sucked a penis to completion. That's so you correct, cannot, dude. That's correct, my dude. You're respecting the words. Respecting the rules. <laughs> the respect rules. the words, my dude. Yeah, my dude. My <laughs> dude. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Kevin Perjurer seems to... It, I, I very much differ from the, the view of put forth by this video that all art, you know, just as long as it represents some sort of effort on part of the artist is of value, uh, especially when... The intent behind it is to you know to solve a problem, not to express yourself. I'm sure there's an, some ancillary expressing yourself. At the end of the video, he uh, reveals that he's been playing Alex Lazarenko's music all throughout the video as sort of a tribute to him. And it's, you know, this very nicely arranged string stuff. He was obviously a talented guy, but it's so funny to say, I'm giving you credit, and he... Uh, uh, he you didn't notice this, you, because this music was designed to not be noticed, <laughs> which is, so, I mean, it's so strange. And this guy who was like in, they also interview all his friends, and they say he was like a recluse. He didn't like being credited. He didn't like the camera. And this guy is going out of his way to be like, "Here's this guy, so that I can justify myself, my own insecurity." You know, I found it, yeah, to be. Uh, very strange and very indicative of this sort of, uh, as I've said before, collapsing between product and art. The same people that want to say that these Marvel movies are just as good as as Kurosawa, you know, like they'll, they'll post the frames from Marvel movies and be like, they really did that. You know, they'll post a frame from Wakanda forever and be like, oh, my God, the lighting, you know, when it's and it looks gray as shit and awful. And but. People love their product and, you know, they're taught to love their product and be loyal to their product. And I I can't help but feel the, the problem with this video is because he inserted himself in it and he talked about his emotions. Now I'm viewing all of his previous videos retroactively through this sort of whiny, self-pitying product selling lens. And it's a real turn. It's made me like realize retroactively that all of his stuff is sort of geared towards advertising in a strange way. Like, I guess when you're talking about are we doing art, maybe by my arbitrary definition that I've chosen for myself. And obviously, you know, there's no one way to define it. This is this is my axiomatic feeling about art. I'm not saying there's one right way to feel about it. Kevin Perjurer is exactly as correct in his view of it. But I'm telling you why I feel why I'm emotionally disturbed by this, Um, because you know, if we can't tell the difference between things made specifically to be sold 
versus things made because someone needed to make it or they would die, then I think, you know, you that's you don't know what art really is. <laughs> you, 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 you don't know that feeling, you know? Um, but uh, maybe I'm being too romantic and abstract about that. Do you have any do you have any feelings about that? No, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, can't say enough bad things about Disney, in my opinion. I can't say yeah. ba- enough bad things about YouTubers. <laughs> can't say enough bad things about documentarians. I mean, yeah. all these people are out there. Well, that's not true for the, the last one, folks. I love some documentaries. Some yeah. Some really good ones, you know? Like, like the, Loose Change. Or the guy that was eating the burgers for 30 days. That's a good excuse. <laughs> that's to, a great, yeah, excellent documentary. Good excuse to not have chemistry class. Thank you, Dr. Rainsborough, for showing <laughs> us uh, I'm a fat ass in 30 days or whatever it was called. Stomp. It was Stomp and then Super Size Me. Oh, dude, Super Size Me was so great to watch. I don't even care that it was fake. Was it fake? Something about it was fake, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think he was but... like, I know, alcoholic or something the whole time. <laughs> really? Was, I think he was secretly like blackout drunk that entire time. <laughs> really? That's funny <laughs> if he was. Yeah, that's true. It's true. That's absolutely that's true. Yeah, Morgan Spurlock. True. Fact check comes back true. Yeah, real lush. What the, that they called them. They they called them more lush Spurlock. Um, you know, I agree. I don't. I can't. I can't get into art right now. What do you want me to say? Stuff about art? I'm no. I'm no, I'm no educated man. I don't know. I I don't because ultimately I think. In the abstract or like in, in the in the form of art outside of myself and outside of my personal vision and feelings, uh, the, the thesis of the video is correct, which is there is no fundamental difference between art produced, you know, with the intent of selling you a product versus art produced uh, with the intent of solely expressing something. Um, that seems like a fundamental difference to me, though. So I don't know how... how... How is that true? How do you find that to be true? You said that well, that's I think true. It blurs the lines a little because in when you're making art under capitalism, there's always the intent. There's always some background intent that this is something that I can sell. You no, know? no, there isn't. And, that's why you have. That's why you have. You know, people arguing that the only worthwhile art is, is from the aristocracy because they don't have that. They have a. <laughs> that's funny. They have a guaranteed pure intent. They will not be trying to sell their crappy art. Or whatever it is, maybe it's good, because yeah. they, you know, and that's the patronage system is like that, which mm-hmm. is like once that's why the patronage system kind of existed. Was aristocrats were like, see, we're the ones actually doing the the art because we're giving all this money to Michelangelo, and we mm-hmm. picked him, and we know he's the best. So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the argument that Disney Channel might make. If you're asking, is it art? And they're like, well, we are able to pay and hire the greatest artists because we have the most money because we are the monoculture. And, mm-hmm. of course, we will hire the greatest to the top of the game to do the music for the Disney Channel advertisements and commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, is that true? I, I, having, I don't have much experience working in corporations, but I tend to think it's not true that yeah. you're not able to find the most talented artists anymore just by offering them a job with really good benefits yeah yeah i think it's also just artists who are like who are more comfortable with 
with doing that sort of thing with doing, you know, work for hire and, you know, being into the background and, you know, I'm sure Alex Lazarenko had like a compositional voice and, you know, had feelings that he wanted to express. And I'm sure he did express them. And he, he wrote a lot of music. Well, but, you know, um, from music school that we both went to that there's some people who make music their thing and you're just like, wow, I don't believe you like can express yourself in this way. Like, I don't believe you're a person who can do that. And yet there they are doing it. I mean, I can think of mm-hmm. several examples that I won't name, obviously, because I'm being really mean about them. But yeah, <laughs> like I can think of a lot of people where they're like they're doing music, and I'm like, are you sure you wouldn't rather do like a different thing, like yeah. maybe accounting? <laughs> well, I think I I don't think I would have felt this way if if the guy hadn't inserted himself. If this had just been about like accreditation and saying like artists deserve credit then I think I would have liked it a lot more because th- that's a more relevant uh, that's a more relevant topic in today's time where things are being lost constantly. You know, we talked when Esther was on the show, we talked about the need for digital archiving. And um, so I think in that respect where it's about preserving information and understanding that it's important to preserve the history of things even trivially like even things that seem trivial it, it, like people worked on this and they deserve to you know i think it's important in that sense but then trying to equivocate this shit with like moby dick or some shit like that i don't know is he i'm probably being uncharitable here that's probably not what he's saying he's probably not saying that the disney channel theme song is on the same level as moby dick but it sort of feels that way it Mm. sort of feels that like hey if this was important to you if you just imbibed and passively absorbed this piece of product as a child and it had an emotional effect on you then this was important to you and thus it is good and deserving of uh accolades you know, mm-hmm. in the same way of like a, a piece of music that was actually brought out by the personal vision of, of somebody. So you had another clip uh, that you wanted to play, right? Well, I, I had another clip, you know, talking about uh, there's another guy who uh, who was working at uh, the Disney Channel at the time. And they talk about the branding of the channel. And that's what I think is instructive in sort of defining it as this advertising piece like listen to what he says and you know how you're supposed to market stuff to children okay you want me to play the clip number two boss play the clip play the play clip number two that we brought out of the funk land okay what was the vibe i mean it was poppy like what was it what could you describe it for fun. disney channel fun fun <laughs> fun 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 and kind of magic I mean, it makes me think about what what the scenario of the you know the kids in the in the cafeteria line, grays and neutrals and drab to like in comes the you know Disney logo and it's glitter and candy and pink and everything. delicious and <laughs> syrupy. You know, they were just these fun, funny little stories that, that were incredibly complicated and. T- time-consuming to produce. Elio Hensley and I had come up with the wand idea. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's what I wanted. Just that fun, 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 you know, candy and glitter. Color. That sort of... It, it struck me as odd or why people have, like, fond memories of that stuff because my childhood was spent about, you know, Disney sucks, you know? Like, once you turn eight, 
Maybe this is more of a, a of like a, a dude bro thing. Really? But it's the same way. Yeah. Wait, you know, when you were like a kid and were like, Barney sucks. I'm I'm five and Barney is for babies. No, you know? never, you never had I one never of those had that. I was like Barney rocks up until and I still think that. <laughs> You see, yeah, he's great. Secondly, I never was anti-Disney until I got to college, and then I was like, okay, I don't really want to watch. Why are they showing Aladdin at the college? <laughs> yeah, that's that's <laughs> What the that's fuck funny. is going on? It's a classic of cinema. It's a great it's a great piece of it's animation. Like, why are they doing that? Are they, are they afraid we're all going to fucking kill ourselves? And yeah, that for, for yeah, yeah, happened, yeah, actually, yeah. It turned out to they, be good. <laughs> if they had only played more Disney put, movies. Put, put on some more, yeah, maybe we wouldn't have all tried to hang ourselves at one time. But Disney movies make me want to kill myself though because they're like even as a kid it, it's that thing with avatar syndrome the, i experienced this with disney movies as a kid where you get like really absorbed into the world of like the little mermaid and you know then once you finish the movie you're left back in the real world and it's like no things are better in there and you know i think people take that to the extreme now that's that's sort of like a huge part of our online culture is people getting lost in these worlds of fandom and you know wanting to go go to pandora wanting to live in pandora forever or like wanting to live in second life or the, yeah. which has been around forever i wanted just, to live you know, in jumanji it's being living a big scary board game where I you wanted, got sucked in yeah i wanted to live in the world of jumanji not the world of the movie jumanji I wanted okay. to be sucked into the board game and have to live like a, you know, a man with no morals who has to do what he has to do to survive against crazy mm -hmm. beasts. Yeah, no one comments on how swole Robin Williams got in the Jumanji <laughs> world. You know, he was he was doing naturalistic workouts every day. It's one of my favorite Robin Williams movies ever. Yes, absolutely. That and uh, Hook. You give me Jumanji, <laughs> you give me Hook? Hell yeah. You give, What's me, my you, give me, you give me MDMA, you give me mushrooms, Jumanji, yeah. Adderall, Hook, fucking diazepam, hell yeah. Are Why did they have to kill Rufio? Sure. Kill the Filipino guy. Sure. Yeah. They I get that the, you needed to do. They kill the hottest little dudes, you know. You've you've heard you've heard the the trope of women in refrigerators. No. <laughs> uh, women in refrigerators is a trope about how because it comes from this uh, really brutal Green Lantern comic where his girlfriend is stuffed his dead girlfriend is stuffed in a refrigerator oh, and God. Green Lantern discover and the trope is about uh, a man uh, a woman suffering horribly in order to further the emotional life of a man. Oh. I learned about it from from Mother Anita Sarkeesian, Miss Anita Sarkeesian, uh, the old YouTube feminist. That's uh, cool, dude. I like that. You, I like that you watch those videos. I watch these. I watch these <laughs> great videos. I have my finger on the pulse of America by watching these amazing YouTubes. Um, but yeah, now, but now I was going to say that's Filipinos in in refrigerators. You know, why oh, did God. Rufio have to die? Yeah. In order to further Robin Williams's, couldn't Robin Williams have died? He did die, dude. Oh yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> you know, further, uh, <laughs> to further the the emotional progression of his daughter. Yeah, Zelda, Dante Zelda. Basco of Zelda Williams. Yeah, <laughs> and now Dante Basco and Zelda Williams are both in the Avatar franchise. Who's Thank Dante you. Basco? He's Rufio. That's a that's a killer name. Yeah, he's an he's great. I love Dante Basco. He's a great actor. Um, yeah, so, um, it's weird, 
it would be weird for me to watch this movie, I think, because I, like I was saying, I watched a lot of Disney Channel. Um, yeah. And I'm trying to remember, because, like, before, I remember a time of TV before Disney Channel, and it was Nickelodeon, you know? That's what, that's what we had. We had Nickelodeon mm-hmm. in the time before Disney Channel. And when I was 10 or 11, this new channel came around. Maybe I was 9, 9, 10. Mm-hmm. This new channel came around. We had cable, and it's like Disney Channel. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? This mm-hmm. is a Disney Channel? So I started watching it all the time. There was some good shit on Disney. I remember, like, Recess. Yeah. That, that was, Or Pepper Ann. I always actually really liked the design of Pepper Ann. I forget the name of the creator. Uh, but previous to that, she had uh, made the, the Sprite mascot, Fido Dido. If you look and you can look up Fido Dido, but I remember those old Fido Dido commercials from the early 90s, and that has had like a pretty significant effect on my design sensibility. The mm. uh, thing about her, Disney Channel is it's not Pepper that the, the shows weren't that good. You know, yeah, they were they were watered down. They saw they saw how well Nickelodeon was doing. And so let's do a watered down Disney version of it. And then they did. Yeah, I feel like there's been hour and a half videos on Pete and Pete, you know? Yeah, because there's that whole thing with Miracle Legion and the band and shit. Yeah, that they're a cool band. And they were like three of those guys from Miracle Legion had a band that did the Pete and Pete music. Mm -hmm. You know about that? No, no. Yeah, they did, like, a lot of original music that's pretty good. Um, but I bet there's, like, long-form videos on YouTube about Nickelodeon shows. There's got to be. Yeah, the history of Nickelodeon. Does Defunct sure. Land do anything on Nickelodeon? Mm, I think he might have done some Nick stuff. I'm not sure. Uh, his, his most substantial series and his best one is his one about the Muppets. About the Muppets? Well, his one about Jim Henson. But... It's weird to me that because like Jim Henson is a guy who I would describe as like an an auteur and had like a personal vision. And that's why his stuff is substantial is because there is like a real there. There is a personality and forethought and idiosyncrasy behind it. He does have some shows about or some uh, YouTube videos about uh, Nickelodeon. He's got one about the legend of the Hidden Temple, which is right, yeah. big for our group of uh, millennials there mm-hmm. that's, I don't that's just okay well, who doesn't like an obstacle course I mean who, who okay. among us doesn't wouldn't like to careen around a series of foam bars I was always uh, kind of disappointed about what they won they didn't did they what do they win like bikes I don't remember guns <laughs> Guns, yeah, and give guns to kids. You can you can do the the next level much easier with this gun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. Oh yeah. I think he had one on like the Nickelodeon Hotel. He had a documentary on the Nickelodeon Hotel, which was pretty funny. What's the Nickelodeon Hotel? Uh, it was a ill-advised. I guess it made money, but eventually it stopped making money. It was it was a hotel that featured Nickelodeon characters. But it's also like a window into a world that I never want to experience and I've never had any desire to experience, which is theme parks. I'm not I don't like theme parks. I don't like the crowds. I don't like waiting in line. I don't like the rides like I. So it's interesting to see like how the other half lives and mm. see these people that get really excited for theme parks and, you know, how they're built. And I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to go to a hotel where someone in a 
SpongeBob outfit is there. I'm not yeah, trying to even go to as sleep. a kid, I was terrified by mascot <laughs> costumes. I don't understand kids who like mascot costumes because oh, you, you, your favorite cartoon character here's a gigantic dead-eyed version of it for you to interact with. I was always incredibly terrified. Yeah, I think it's for kids maybe who aren't quite as smart as you and I. Yeah, not quite not quite as smart, you know, dumber kids. Dumber kids who can't tell the difference between real goofy and facsimile goofy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, you know, in a way we've done an advertisement for Defunct yeah, Land. We've done a big advertisement for He's what I also want to say is that I think for whatever comments on I think the spiritual quality of the video is. I think it's very well constructed and his argument is uh, well reasoned and it's it's very interesting from beginning to end and I you know despite a, a sort of worry that this might be part of the greater milieu of the collapsing of product and art I think it's still worth watching and commenting on. He he put a lot of effort. He he gave it his all as he would say and uh, so it deserves watching. And if you'd like to listen to more podcasts like this one, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash house of decline and get an extra podcast every week for only $5. And you'll get a comic every day. And visit our website at www.houseofdecline.com where you can look at the comics for free that come up on Twitter every so often. And then also you go to store houseofdecline.com and you can buy a print so that we can keep doing this forever. 